This is the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. We are bringing you daily updates on the policy news you need to know using the reporting prowess of CQ Roll Call. I'm Sean Zeller. It's Monday, May 4th. The Trump administration is projecting the number of coronavirus cases and deaths to keep rising as some states move to reopen their economies. A new model from the Federal Emergency Management Agency predicts 200,000 new cases each day by the end of May, about 10 times the current number. The president acknowledged that the number of deaths from COVID-19 will likely rise too, to 3,000 a day and hit a total of 100,000, a higher number than he has presented in the past. While certain urban areas like New York City are showing promising signs of containing the virus, other cities, such as Chicago, are being ravaged. And rural areas, which were spared at the beginning of the pandemic, are now being hit. Senators convened in the Capitol today at the insistence of Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. If it's essential that brave healthcare workers, grocery store workers, truck drivers, and many other Americans continue to carefully show up for work, then it's essential that their U.S. senators carefully show up ourselves and support them. On the agenda, nominations of judges and executive branch officials. The Supreme Court entered historic new territory today. With us tonight is CQ Roll Call's legal reporter, Todd Ruger, to explain. Case 1946, the United States Patent and Trademark Office versus Booking.com. Ms. Ross? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, it is a fundamental principle of trademark. This is Todd Ruger, the legal affairs reporter at CQ Roll Call. I'm coming to you from my living room, where I just did something that seemed impossible prior to the COVID 19 outbreak. I listened to a Supreme Court oral argument live, as it happened, without having to be inside the courtroom that fits only about 500 people. The ongoing health crisis and the safety of social distancing has forced the nine justices to come up with a new way to keep doing the work of the court. That includes the tradition of bringing in the lawyers from both sides to answer questions for about an hour in each case. After postponing oral arguments in March and again in April, the justices decided to hold their first-ever remote arguments over the telephone during the first two weeks of May. With media outlets putting that audio feed onto television and the internet, a much larger audience had access as it happened. This is a development that, for years, open government advocates, the media, and some lawmakers have wanted. But the justices have said live audio or video would be harmful to their work, They have told Congress that lawyers would be tempted to grandstand to have their soundbite on the evening news, or justices would filter their questions to prevent being taken out of context. It took a pandemic, but the justices have come around, at least for the next two weeks. So what happened on that first case? The justices picked a relatively low-profile case, one about trademark protections for online companies and there was a different dynamic. Gone was the freewheeling discussion where any justice can interrupt at almost any time with a question. Instead, each justice had a turn to ask questions 
going in order of seniority. That produced one surprise. Justice Clarence Thomas, who is famously silent during these oral arguments, asked questions for just the third time in a decade. Ms. Ross, the, a couple of questions. Um, the, could- Roberts, the chief justice, kept a close watch on time and would cut off a lawyer during an answer, sometimes mid-sentence, with a thank you, counsel. Recognition from consumers who automatically understand what they sell. Thank but you, we don't counsel. Thank you, counsel. Justice Ginsburg? And there were some quirks. When Justice Sonia Sotomayor had her first chance to ask a question, there were several moments of silence on the line, as if she had forgotten to take her phone off of mute. Justice Sotomayor? Justice Sotomayor? I'm sorry, Chief. Ms. Ross, picking up... And Justice Stephen Breyer, in his second attempt at questions, started out with a heavy clipping on his voice, almost like a blown-out microphone or speaker. Thank you. But these issues were fixed within seconds, and overall, the arguments went smoothly. But the real test could be ahead when the justices hear oral arguments in this format on two big politically contentious cases. On Wednesday, the Trump administration will defend its rules on exceptions to the contraceptive coverage mandate in the 2010 health care law. And on May 12th, the justices will hear President Donald Trump's personal challenge to congressional subpoenas for his financial and tax records from financial firms. Now we turn to CQ Roll Call defense reporter John Donnelly on how the pandemic may affect the definition of national security. In the middle of the new coronavirus pandemic ripping through the world, a lot of people in the United States are asking, why are we spending something like $750 billion a year to be ready to defend against other militaries and terrorists when the real threats to our country are obviously diseases like the novel coronavirus, uh, which has um, killed so many and ruined our economy. So I want to stress that this is still in the early stages, uh, but the conversation is beginning about whether or not terms like national security and defense need to be reconsidered in the light of what we are going through in terms of the deaths and the economic damage that we are experiencing as a country, indeed as a world. And so what does this mean? This, this, how many people are asking this question and what does this mean for the future of the U.S. military? There seems to be a little bit of a consensus emerging that things are not going to be quite the same. So what does that mean? Uh, it means first that the U.S. military is going to have a bigger focus on biosecurity, being able to deal with diseases caused either naturally or even by uh, biological weapons. That means preventing them, detecting them, ameliorating the effects. Uh, It probably means a little bit less emphasis on combating other militaries and terrorists, and maybe less money available for it because of the economic crunch and the debt crisis that is coming. So it probably means fewer troops deployed abroad, more isolationism. It also probably means a greater percentage of the force is going to be National Guard and Reserve because they have ties to the local communities. They can respond to domestic crises. They also have some skills uh, like uh, medical and cyber that are increasingly going to be important. Um, So this is not at all settled, though. I want to stress there's going to be a lot of pushback. There are a lot of defenders of the status quo. And they have a point in when they say that Russia, China, North Korea, Iran, terrorists 
are all still out there. But it does seem to be that there's going to be some change in how Americans view terms like national security, defense, and threats. Finally, we have CQ Roll Call health policy reporter Mary Ellen McIntyre on the latest. Hi, I'm Mary Ellen McIntyre, healthcare reporter with CQ Roll Call. The Food and Drug Administration today said it would hold manufacturers developing antibody tests to a higher standard after more than 100 tests with varying efficacy have entered the market in the last few weeks. Under the agency's new policy, manufacturers will have to meet certain accuracy thresholds and submit an application for emergency authorization within 10 days of submitting their data that validates their products. The FDA has so far authorized 12 antibody tests, which can show whether a patient has recovered from the virus that causes COVID-19, although questions remain about how much immunity recovered patients may have from contracting the virus again. However, none of those 12 have earned full approval from the agency. And as the federal social distancing guidelines lifted over the weekend and directives to stay home lifted in many states, an epidemiological model from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington was updated Monday to predict more than 134,000 deaths from COVID-19 in the U.S. by August 4th. That update comes after White House Deputy Press Secretary Judd Deere said an internal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention document that was published Monday by the New York Times did not come from the White House and has not been presented to the White House Coronavirus Task Force. The document showed a projected daily death toll of 3,000 by June and forecasts about 200,000 new cases per day by then, up from about 25,000 cases a day now. The details around the document, including what factors and assumptions it considers in its projections, were not clear, but it paints a grim picture of what may come in the month ahead as the U.S. death toll now nears 70,000. Finally tonight, the Small Business Administration said today that companies are rapidly going through a second infusion of cash Congress appropriated last month to help firms with fewer than 500 employees survive. More than 2 million firms have applied, and $175 billion of the $310 billion appropriated is now spoken for. That follows a first round of funding, $342 billion that is all gone. That's all from the CQ on Congress Coronavirus Special Report. From all of us at CQ Roll Call, I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for listening. <laughs>